Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Screen Talk, IndieWire's weekly movie podcast. I'm Eric Cohn. Usually I'd be joined with by my uh, sparring partner, Ann Thompson, at this time of year as we anticipate Telluride. Ann is still out, but I am very excited to be joined by Marcus Jones, who has been on this podcast before when I've not been around. But Marcus, it's great to have you here so that we can uh, convene in our pre-Telluride mindset to anticipate what's around the corner. How are you holding up? I'm doing okay. Uh, this will be interesting. I did it with Ann, and now I uh, get to try screen talking with you. And so I'm excited. So you're living in like two worlds right now because the Emmys happen to overlap with Toronto this year. So you're coming with me to tell you ride, and then you're going to be in Emmys mode during Toronto. So how are you sorting through the two different worlds at the moment? Um, I think I'm more focused on film right now because voting has closed for Emmys. Um, but it is kind of like, shutting off parts of my brain like i think my thoughts about emmys are kind of taking a break right now as i'm like entering into like fall festival season and it really is going to start in a, in a fully immersive way so i'm glad that while toronto will still have that sort of emmys overlap that we can get past it because it's just getting started and we're about to be basically swimming in new movies we have the telluride lineup we're recording on Wednesday. Uh, the lineup comes out on Thursday. We have it under embargo, which is very convenient because we'll be doing that long haul trip to Telluride as it comes out. Uh, it's quite an undertaking, whether you're coming from New York, New York or LA and you're in for a treat. This I realized will be my 10th Telluride consecutive, not counting 2020 when it didn't happen. And this is your first. So I'm really curious to get inside your headspace here before we dig into the lineup itself, because Telluride for me, it's not the festival I've been to the most, but I've been going long enough now where it's like, you kind of take it for granted what this festival is, the impact it has and so forth. What are your expectations as things stand? No, it's so interesting. I've been covering uh, entertainment for probably like seven years now professionally, and I have always heard that Telluride is the favorite of the fall festivals uh, and always wanted to go. It is not um, an easy festival to get to price wise, um, but I feel very lucky to be attending this year and sort of getting a head start on uh, watching all the films that we're going to have to talk about for like the next few months. Um, and also just like to be in that environment to be, I don't think I've been to Colorado period. And so, uh, I'm excited to just experience the landscape in addition to experiencing the film festival, though you have warned me about the elevation. Yeah. Elevation. I was going to say it, it is like being in another world in a way. I mean, I, I can't speak for all of Colorado, but certainly the Colorado Rockies are a unique place from the vomit comet flight into the gasping for air at the very beginning and everyone warning you not to drink alcohol in those first few days, which is very hard not to do when you're everyone's saying, come out to 
the uh, new Sheridan or wherever everyone's gathering on main street. It has a real cozy mountain vibe. And I've always described it as like, you're in someone's backyard with great VIP access. You know, it's like, there's no red carpets. It doesn't have that same sort of kind of like snazzy polished quality to it. Uh, mm. But it is really uh, surreal to be in a small mountain town with this, these kinds of high profile films. And I think that's why the talent like it too. There's fewer paparazzi type situations and so forth. And certainly this year, we are looking at a lot of big movies that are coming into Telluride. And I think the biggest question a lot of people had was what's this year's award season going to look like? Who's going to get the best movies and so forth? Well, we don't know all of that until after we get through these festivals, but it does seem like whether these are films that are premiering in Venice or premiering in Telluride and then going on to Toronto, we're going to get to see uh, a number of movies that are expected to kind of light up the awards uh, conversation. So let's go through a few of these, starting with two that are tied to tributes. So mm -hmm. women talking, uh, this is Sarah Polly's movie, uh, which we've been anticipating for a while, but what struck me about the, the film being at the festival this year is not only is Sarah Polly at the age of 42, I believe getting a, a filmmaker tribute, yeah, uh, 10 years after she premiered stories we tell there, but they're expecting a lot of the cast to be there. What, what is your sense of kind of the, the buzzy nature of this movie? It's so interesting because, uh, it like, this is one of those films where like the log line is like, I'm not sure I would want to see that it's, a. Uh, a group of Mennonite women who are comparing stories of abuse. Um, but like you said, this has such an amazing cast uh, with Frances McDormand of all people and seeing uh, her work with Sarah, who people have been really passionate about, even though she's had like three or four uh, feature length uh, films. It's, seems like just the right moment for everyone. And so it's, it's exciting to go and experience that and see like celebrating Sarah at this specific point in her career surrounded by people who are like Francis, who have been very celebrated, very decorated. And yeah. And she's like a producer of the movie too, which I think is notable. I mean, you know, her track record has been pretty good of late, obviously. I mean, yeah. <laughs> she won for three billboards. She won for No Man Land, both producing and starring. So she's at a certain level. And then Plan B, which is Brad Pitt's company, is producing. And of course, they've done really well at Tell, Tell You Right over, over the last several years, decade ago, when Sarah's film, Stories We Tell, launched at Tell You Ride. Mm -hmm. They also had the um, 12 Years a Slave there. So there's a sort of a sense of like continuity on some level where it's like this one, which is definitely a world premiere, even if Telluride doesn't like to use the world word premiere, mm -hmm. uh, it's like makes a lot of sense for the Telluride crowd and, and the people who have a history there. So it kind of feels like a foregone conclusion. We know this one's going to be significant, but we have to wait and see it, obviously. Another one is Tar, which uh, Kate Blanchett's getting a tribute for. Now, Tar is, it's it's interesting because it's like, with women talking, like, as you say, it's like on paper, this sounds like a tough movie, but mm. then we're hearing all this great stuff about it. There's so much great talent involved, so we really want to see it. With Tar, it's like, what I'm really curious about is this one's going to premiere in Venice, like a day before it gets there. And like, enthusiasm for Kate Blanchett is like, 
obvious, you know, that's like baked into, you know, no matter what, it's going to be a big deal that she's there. But I'm really curious about the movie Todd Fields first in 15 years since little children. And does the movie and the way it's received kind of rise to the level of uh, the kind of built in enthusiasm for Kate Blanchett? What is your sense of uh, potential here? I feel like I've been trying to know as little as possible about these films just because I like to be surprised unless it's like horror, then like, I don't like to, I mean, we're going to talk about bones and all later, but with tar, like seeing that teaser, just her in her like bag conducting Mm -hmm. is enough to like really sell me on the film. And so even though like, it's always exciting to see Kate Blanchett. Um, and it is very exciting to see Todd Field making films again. The way that they've teased this project out has been such um, a captivating sort of thing. And yeah, I mean, I'm just down to sit down and see whatever it is. And I think it'll probably be good. I mean, they're both very dependable. So <laughs> fingers crossed. It's it's funny because when I was exclusively wearing a, uh, the hat of a critic in this kind of environment, I didn't pay attention to any assets, no trailers. I didn't want to know anything like, okay, I'll know who's in it. And if it's based on a book or whatever, but when you're sort of playing the role of a journalist who also needs to understand kind of like the media narrative that's being projected by studio marketing machine and so forth watching the trailer does make a difference and what's great about this trailer is that you feel like you've experienced the movie but you still don't totally know what it's about like at first i think there were people writing up this movie and they thought lydia tar who Kate blanchett plays was like this real person you know it's (laughs) it's a fictional character in the movie we know it's about a fictional female composer in europe and you know beyond that it's kind of hard to discern exactly what happens except that it's kind of a psychological thriller of sorts it feels to me a bit like when black swan launched on the festival circuit a a number of years ago Mm -hmm. that was it got a good bump from uh from venice and then tell you right ahead of toronto and uh you know people kind of knew it was like big star Natalie Portman, Darren Aronofsky, but they couldn't totally tell how wild that movie was until it screened. So hopefully it has that kind of a, a life, but yeah. uh, one way or another, you know, it's like Kate Blanchett has been set up to be, you know, a major front runner. This yeah. year. I think the genius is that without giving much away, it evokes a feeling. And so when you're watching that teaser, it it puts you on a certain vibe to where like, oh, I have to see what happens next, even though I have no clue what this film is really about outside of, like you said, Tar being a fictional uh, composer and uh, really putting in the work with that. uh... Totally. Yeah. She definitely did a lot of composing in this movie. Um, but, but I think it's, it's also notable that the Venice response isn't necessarily going to be the Telluride response. It's just sort of like, if I had a crystal ball, I could tell you like, these are very different crowds. And I'm looking as we were recording at these very, um, unusual reviews for white noise, which opened the fest, uh, the festival on the Lido. And like, it's, uh, you know, there's, there's sort of, more negative than I would have expected, but mm. that's a movie that's still going to open New York film festival. It's still going to continue to have a life. And I'm really curious to know how like the audiences who aren't the Venice crowd, which tends to be a very specific kind of knives out, uh, no pun intended and not related to another fall movie, but like not the knives out crowd. Whereas like Telluride is like rooting for these movies and it's a, an audience that in some ways can be more, 
forgiving in a mm. way if if uh, if it works in the room. Um, but I, but I, that's not to say the Telluride audiences are soft. You still have reviews coming out of it, but it's a it's a very different vibe. It's a cozier vibe, and that can be helpful for certain kinds of movies. So in that respect, it's notable to look at some of the other newer films that are going to be there. Like Searchlight is bringing Empire of Light. Sam Mendes, Sam Mendes' first film since 1917, uh, one that seems very different than 1917 and pretty much anything he's ever made. I mean, a romance is set in a seaside community with Olivia Coleman. He wrote it. It's, we don't know a ton of what, about what it's about, except that it's like there's an old movie theater and it seems like a nice movie. But what have yeah. you been hearing? Yeah, I think that everyone is looking at this one like if it's good, then it is automatically a front runner just because it does have that sort of like film that celebrates film nostalgia. Right. Pat the industry in. likes to pat itself on the back. Exactly. And I mean, Sam Mendes isn't short of uh, Oscars attention. And so I uh, am personally very excited to see it. I also like that uh michael ward seems to be uh, like poised to be the breakout star of it because i've seen him uh in a couple of things i think he's most famous for being on top boy which is like a british netflix drama that i think drake produces um mm -hmm. drake producing some good tv that's um, interesting it's like so he's got a fandom but just not necessarily in the academy so i'll have to be reintroduced in that sense yeah and so I'm really excited about that. But then, of course, like Olivia Coleman, anything she touches turns to gold. She's even in that, again, Netflix show Heartstopper uh, mm -hmm. that became really big this year. Uh, just surprising everyone like, oh, she's in this. But it's like a telltale sign. and It'll be like an entertaining project. Um, Colin Firth as well. So, right. yeah, I'm looking forward to it and kind of hope. I mean, I hope that all these films are great, but I'm especially hopeful that this is good. And then we have Bardo, which is another one coming over from Venice, where I can imagine it'll have a different kind of life. Uh, Inuritu always goes to Telluride. I mean, I, I always remember not on purpose. I just kind of like realized after I sat down for 12 years of slaves, like mm -hmm. a decade ago or whatever it was, that I was sitting next to him. And then the next year he was there with Birdman, which was his, you know, sort of creative rebirth and so forth. And I just like in my mind, I was thinking like, this must have been all part of the plan, you know, and now yeah. he's like, he keeps coming back. This is another movie about movies. It mm -hmm. has the Netflix awards apparatus behind it, really pushing it hard. And I've been tracking it for a while, but you actually got to go to a special Netflix event in LA where they previewed some footage and Inuritu is there. So what did you take away from uh, what you were able to see there? It's so funny again, because I fully thought that this was like a slower, like very introspective, black and white film i don't know what i read are you saying black and white movies have a are, are slower and introspective in all cases? <laughs> no i'm saying a very specific no black and white movie type vibe i say but this yeah, with I, a roma poster over my shoulder by the way exactly exactly that that's what i thought i thought i was walking into another roma because so many films even empire of light are getting compared to that uh so i had a completely different idea of what Bardo was. I knew it was yeah. sort of Inuritu exploring uh, a filmmaker returning to Mexico, his uh, home country. Um, what I saw 
is already teed up to be maybe my favorite film by him um because one like the actual full scene they showed us was a dance scene um that was shot in sort of as i described like the exact place i imagine in my head like when the pandemic is like fully over like that yeah. kind of party uh and then from there it is really like following netflix's reputation of like letting filmmakers have like everything in the kitchen sink like right. it is pretty wild thoroughly entertaining uh and again i told you I'm so uh, <laughs> fascinated by how Netflix has found a new way to market films without like giving us what the film will sound like. Cause same with blonde. I don't know. Uh, there was no, we saw no subtitles. And so I don't know if there will be subtitles. It might, it was in Spanish. The few words right. here. Uh, right. So just like it Juana. is his first film. We know it's his first film in Mexico. I mean, it's not his first yeah. Spanish film. It's his first Spanish film since Beautiful, but that was in Spain. It's his first film in Mexico since uh, since 2000. So it's it's a pretty significant kind of return home, which I, I sounds like that's part of the theme of the movie. This like documentary journalist going back home and having an existential crisis. And it is interesting how it's like him and Sam Mendes are both making these movies about the art of, of movie making. And I, and I mm -hmm. wonder how much, you know, that's going to become this motif throughout the season. Cause we also have Spielberg's Fablemans, you know, it's like everybody's trying to make their Roma and everybody's yeah. Roma is about how they're filmmakers in a really hard time to make movies or something like that. So I guess we'll see if that continues to develop as a theme. Yeah. I think the only uh, difference with Bardo is that I think the other films we're talking about, I think Armageddon time gets thrown in there as well. Yeah. Sure. Uh, have more of a nostalgic feel to them. And this very much is uh, a modern story of a filmmaker coming back. And so, whereas uh, the other films are about youth and sort of take us back to a certain place. Bardo is like, more modern uh and more i guess reflective uh than i guess like a story about a teenager which right. a couple of those films are about more contemporary yeah it's, yeah and well, definitely guess... magical is another word that i would use for uh what i saw <laughs> yeah well, the magic is working on you. That's for sure. I mean, I will caution you against raising the bar too high with anything you haven't seen. I mean, you, mm -hmm. you are now currently updating our prediction pages and of course we'll not put something in front runner status until you've seen it. But, exactly. uh, you know, it sounds like some of these movies, especially the Nuritu one might be, you know, kind of easy to tip over there once you get a chance to check them out, but we'll see. I mean, it, it really can be, more unpredictable than you realize mm -hmm. i am still really excited to see if you can handle bones and all uh among you among other people who have said that they are squeamish around cannibal movies because this film from luca guadagnino looks like it could be a real kind of commercial movie is it an award season movie i don't know but it's gonna be in venice and then tell you ride guadagnino is coming for the first time to tell you ride it's his, his reunion with uh with timothy chalamet after um call me by your name but also taylor russell is is sort of the the other star of the movie and, and people are saying she's very good in it so have i convinced you yet that this might be worth uh stomaching so to speak well i mean i've 
seen Call Me By Your Name and We Are Who We Are. I appreciate uh, Luca's um, projects about young people. And so I'm kind of trying to look at it from that aspect and not think about the bone crunching. Uh, <laughs> I hear once you get past some of the chewing, it's it's much more bearable than uh, than you might think. But I guess we'll see. We'll see on that front. So we've talked yeah. about a bunch of stuff from some of the bigger companies, but there's so much more. I mean, Sony Pictures Classics, as you'll see on the ground, always has a strong uh, Telluride presence. They do a fun dinner there with all their talent. They've got Living with Bill Nye, who, uh, you know, uh, obviously is a best actor, uh, as- aspirant of sorts, uh, mm-hmm. reintroducing himself into the conversation after this movie was acquired out of Sundance. They also have Mia Hansen Loves Him, One Fine Morning, which has a stab at uh, being the French Oscar submission. A24 mm-hmm. has Clothes. You mentioned Armageddon Time, which obviously has a very different kind of Jeremy Strong than the one people know in Succession. Um, what What is your sense of um, the way in which studios are sort of jockeying for prominence in award season? Because again, this is the sort of thing that I'm, I'm very used to, but I, I understand you've been taking a lot of meetings and kind of getting a sense of what these slates are, are looking like. I mean, do, do you, do you have an idea at this point, kind of like who has the upper hand or who seems to be like creating a really strong impression for their slate overall? Um, I think one thing about this year that I'm fascinated by is the early start certain studios are getting because uh, the box office has been such a drought. And so we know that there's so much ahead, but there's also this idea of keeping the momentum behind a film like Everything Everywhere All at Once that A24 is really pushing or Paramount with Top Gun maverick and so uh and you could even say with living like their sony pictures classics is really relaunching this film that um definitely a critical audience has already seen i know don't forget about uh yeah Anne is a huge fan of that movie and understand it's a very sweet quiet movie and that performance kind of drives it i was gonna say don't forget about nope uh movie that uh you know it was like a real kind of favorite of the, of the summer season, I think in contrast to everything else that was out there. I mean, even if you're a big diehard fan of Top Gun, you got to admit that like Nope is the unpredictable visionary movie of the summer. And mm-hmm. I noticed this past week, even Toronto announced they're going to have Jordan Peele do a special screening of Nope with a Q and a. So, you oh, know, cool. Yeah. It's a nice way to kind of reintroduce him into the conversation. It may be also because there's this film Nanny that mm-hmm. uh, won the Grand Jury Prize at Sundance and is now having its um, international premiere at TIFF. And Monkey Paw, Jordan's company, is uh, helping get that film out through Universal. So maybe there's some you know interesting way of lining up resources there. I'm not sure. But uh, you know, I, to me, it's like Nope is a movie that should be as much in the conversation as any of this other stuff. In fact, it would have been a really crazy movie to have it at a place like Telluride. I said earlier in the summer it should have been at Cannes, but uh, it'd be fun to revisit that one. Um, yeah. Is there anything else? I mean, that that you've seen already that you think is get, has a real shot at kind of staying in the conversation? Oh, that's interesting that I've seen and can talk about. Um, yeah, well, that's an important <laughs> qualifier, isn't it? <laughs> no, I'm I'm very much in a vibe of uh, the best films are ahead of me. Um, yeah. And so I 
I really enjoyed Nope. I really enjoyed Top Gun Maverick, really enjoyed everything, everywhere, all at once. And I think just those films have such creative elements that I think are worth celebrating, especially as we talk about the Oscars kind of at a turning point. Um, but yeah, I mean, as I'm going to have a very different answer of like what uh, films I'm excited to continue chatting about during award season after uh, Venice, Telluride, uh, Toronto. Yeah, I mean, and one thing you'll see with Telluride is it's just like, it's so immense and uh, dense and fast paced. And yet at the same time, it feels sort of like you're at the center of all this action. And while you're there, it all makes mm. perfect sense. So when you come out of it, it, the whole season starts to fall into place and you're like, okay, so Venice and Telluride overlap in this specific kind of way. And they feed nicely into Toronto. And so it's like, when you get to the other side, you really have a sense of direction. And it was weird going through that, that the 2020 year when everything was totally disrupted, this mm. is like a return to normalcy. Even if it seems like things are really disparate right now, there, there's going to be a real sense of, of what the narrative is, is like after, after the weekend and the films that we're talking about that we've already seen will then have to really kind of prove themselves to stay in the conversation because they won't have that same immediate fall festival bump. So that's going to be a really interesting one uh, to follow is how does, how does a nope, how does an everything every, everywhere all at once, or even a top gun kind of remind people that they're important movies to remember uh, as Academy voters are starting to pay attention to new things. Um, and then of course we have a bunch of docs, which we don't need to dig into, but there's a sequel to Icarus. Uh, Matt Heineman has a new documentary uh, mm. called retrograde about the, uh, the U S uh, pullout from Afghanistan. There's um, a documentary I'm really curious about called senior about Robert Downey senior uh, and Robert Downey jr. Is coming to, to tell you, right. So that'll be a fun one. I'm excited about uh, the documentaries as well, because I, I'll say I've seen quite a few that are coming up and uh, the vibes this year are like one uh, documentaries about celebrated filmmakers like senior uh sydney is coming up but then uh the other thing that i've really seen is a lot of stories about uh current geopolitics specifically with russia and they are so tense that i'm in the screening room like turning left and right being like are there any spies here? Am I safe? Can I like make it out of here? Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, it's like two very different uh, sort of themes that are going on with a lot of these films that are coming out. I mean, Navalny's already out and we know that story. And so yeah. <laughs> that's enough to tell you that. Uh, Although Navalny feels like a movie where it's like, it set the stage for these other stories to come because things keep evolving with the, with the situation in Russia and Navalny himself, who ends up behind bars at the end of this documentary, not a big spoiler is now like unionizing in prison and stuff. So it's, it's amazing how quickly things change, which is why it's fascinating that, you know, people are making documentaries that are trying to be so responsive to the world we're in right now, but the world we're in in three months could be very different. Yeah. Meanwhile, there's a lot of TBAs in the schedule. Um, we may or may not know what a few of them are, maybe even all of them. But I, one thing that I've always appreciated about Tell You Right is that there is a kind of sense that even though it's calculated, like scrappiness, like, ah, oh, we're going to throw in an extra screening of this, like, 
high profile can movie that everyone's been chatting about, or uh, we're going to throw in some special screenings of classic films. That'll get some stars out there who happen to be in the awards conversation. We're not saying we're doing a special event for them or giving them a, a prize or whatever, but they'll yeah. be there and milling about and so forth. So I think that's going to be something to pay attention to because by like Sunday or Monday, the way in which we talk about this tell you red lineup could be a little bit different because of some of the films that are, are going to show up there. And then yeah. finally, I think we should talk about Oscar season in general uh, because TIFF is around the corner. There's films like women King or Fableman's that I mentioned. We have glass onion. Um, but as these films start to screen and award season kind of solidifies into a narrative, we also have this bigger question of like, what is the award season this year when it mm. was so tarnished at the end of last one by this sour endpoint, Will Smith doing what he did on live TV, that whole thing about not televising eight categories. I mean, it just felt like there were just a lot of bad vibes at the end of the season. So needless to say, very, uh, uh, unique moment for you, Marcus, to be entering into Oscar season. What is your sense of how the Academy is looking to move past the narrative of the last season and into this one and look ahead? Well, I think it's sort of a reboot. Uh, they just hired uh, CEO Bill Kramer, and uh, it was just announced that Janet Yang is now the president of the Academy. Uh, and the impression I've got through meetings specifically with Bill is that he won. He's passed the slap. Not interested in incorporating. Not having that conversation. Yeah. Uh, but two, and this is the more important part, is that just as we're talking about these films about films and sort of celebrations of the magic of filmmaking, like he is very much in that mindset as well. Like he wants to uh, access, like access the passion that uh, people have about cinema and the Oscars and uh, the goal isn't to kind of like chase the audience that the show may never get again. It's more yeah. to uh, make the audience that it already has that will watch the Oscars no matter what. So enthusiastic about it that they will like uh, that will spread, that will be contagious and yeah. other people will be like, Oh, like, because, uh, my friend is so invested in these films winning Oscars. Right. I want to see them and then hopefully watch uh, the ceremony when it's televised in March. And yeah. so I think that's an excellent approach because I feel like conversation about film has been so concentrated and has become like a smaller community that's so potent and passionate uh, that it's a smart approach to be to make it seem like uh an event where it's like what's going on everyone there that's got everyone in such a fuss like kind of uh yeah people that way i mean and and it's impossible to know if it's gonna work like we could all be good vibes and 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 and, and basically keep saying that over and over again it's so smart to keep the oscars as the oscars and not add best popular film award and you know best fan moment and, and all that kind of stuff that, you know, doesn't need to be relitigated time and again, but then people might still not tune in. So then the question is like, well, how, how do you build out the enthusiasm for Oscar season movies into something that actually 
registers as like a popular TV event. So as we get closer, I'm, I'm sure that will be talked about a lot. But one thing I think just to bring back to Telluride that's going to be really interesting to look at is as we see these movies, there will be this real question of, you know, do, does the rest of the world care that these movies exist? And will they after many months, including many months after they've been released? I mean, on some level, Top Gun and Nope, and maybe a little bit Everything Everywhere because it's been fairly successful. Like those movies, at least you could argue, well, a lot of people have seen them. So the enthusiasm is there. Will that translate into a bunch of movies, even if they're well-reviewed at, at Telluride? I guess we'll, we'll have to wait and see. But mm. uh once we're over there, every day is going to be another kind of uh, another kind of journey. So I, I hope you are uh, well equipped with multiple water bottles and Advil and uh, warm clothes for nighttime and then cool clothes for daytime. And mm. uh, Marcus, I, I, I'm really excited for you to be at, at Telluride this year. I hope you are, too. I'm so excited and uh, I can't wait to see you. It's been a long time since we've seen each other in person. Yeah. And so uh, it will all be great. Oh, and I get to meet David. I haven't met David yet. That's uh, right. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Your, your IndieWire colleagues are in fact, 3D people with normal human height, not just boxes <laughs> on the screen. That's why we need film festivals. Exactly. All right. Well, I know you have a screening to jet off to as, as we all do these days. So I will see you in the Colorado Rockies. Safe travels. You too.